Psalm chapter 1, verse number 1. Maybe you've got it memorized. If you do, don't even get out your Bible. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the paradox of miraculous provision. Let's pray. Father, love you so much. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I pray you'll talk to us tonight. Open our understanding. Lord, don't let me speak anything you don't want spoken. And don't let me leave anything unsaid that you want spoken tonight. But open our ears to hear what the Spirit would say and open our spirits to receive it. And we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. And with that, you can be seated. Thank you for standing for such a long period of time. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight uh, about the paradox of miraculous provision. Blessed is the man. Somebody say Blessed. Now, I do want to be blessed. I know I just said it doesn't matter if I'm blessed or not, I'm going to live for God. But if I had to choose between being blessed and not blessed, I'd choose blessed. Man, that's only like a third of us. I would choose blessed. All right. And so he gives us some understanding. He says that, there, there, that you can be in such a, a situation, a blessed man, blessed woman, such that it doesn't matter what the situation is around you, that you're like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. Your leaf shall not wither. Whatever you do is going to prosper. He says you can be like a tree planted by a river. One thing I understand about rivers is most rivers do not run dry. In the middle of a drought, you can go out here, there's still going to be water in this, in this new river, or in this canal river. I guess it's a new river. I'll just go down the road a couple miles. There's still going to be water there. And so I want to be engaged in the Scripture and follow the Scripture in such a way that we can be blessed. Somebody say amen. So uh, what are the most important concepts in Scripture? Uh, if we had time, if we were in a classroom setting, maybe I'd hand out pencils and papers and we could write down a list of the most important topics in all the Bible. And we might talk about faith. We might list grace, maybe the Godhead. How about the cross? If you think these are important, just nod your head up and down or say amen or something. Uh, we could talk about the resurrection, salvation. Forgiveness, repentance, baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We talk about prayer. We could talk about the Ten Commandments. A lot of important things in Scripture that we could spend time on, invest time in, and it would be a good investment. Uh, on that list, I would add this topic. It is taboo. We're... We're supposed to shy away from this topic, Brother Pat, but I think one of the most important topics in Scripture is the topic of money. Or, as we like to call it in the sanctified church, stewardship. Now, relax. <clears throat> Calm down. Readjust yourself. We're going to talk about money a little bit. We should not be afraid of what the Bible says about money. 
fact, it is a very important subject. I know that because it's the number one cause of divorce in North America. And so if it can cause that much problem in our lives, maybe we should explore what the Bible says about it. Uh, there are about 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with money. There are more verses in the Bible that deal with money than there are prayer and faith combined. So, I want to disarm you right now. There are two things that are not going to happen in this message tonight. One is, I am not going to ask you to give more. And the other thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to promise you a Mercedes. I am of a strong conviction that if all the preacher does is to tell you to give and God will bless you, you're not getting the full message. There is so much more to biblical finances than just giving to the church. I, well, let me, let me just talk to you from my heart tonight. If you remember a few weeks ago, we took up a special offering. I think it was the North American Missions offering. And I told you, I said, I, we are going to give to this special offering. If you don't have to give, I don't want you to give. I don't want you to pull out your credit card and run up debt to give to the church. I don't want you to give because you feel like somebody's twisting your arm to give, unless God's doing it. I don't want you to feel emotionally compelled by whoever's got the microphone that you're supposed to give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And so you've noticed that in this church in the last year, we have changed the way that we receive offerings. We do it at the end of service because we are so concerned about connecting with the presence of God and staying there that we don't want to interrupt that. Uh, with that being said, if we're in the middle of a worship service and you feel like running to the altar and throwing money in the offering plate, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm not saying that jokingly. I'm being absolutely serious about that. I've been in conferences where a spirit of giving swept in and people just began to walk to the altar and lay money on the altar because there was a need that had been expressed. I'm not against that whatsoever. But I do want you to understand that I'm not here tonight to compel you to give more because I want to raise i got one right and no amens. I want you to understand that. It doesn't matter. This, this church's income could quadruple tomorrow. I'm not going to get a raise. Okay, now if you want to argue about that, I might entertain arguments. Here's the truth. I, I want to I I talk to you tonight. We believe in the miraculous. We believe in miraculous healing. We believe in deliverance. We de believe in divine direction. We believe in resurrection power. We, we believe in the, in the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the miraculous. And if y'all weren't so nervous right now, I could talk about these miracles and you'd be shouting. Just laugh. It's okay. We believe in the miraculous. 
But do we believe in money miracles? And I'm not just talking about one time, but I'm talking about the miracle of a continual blessing. But you understand tonight I am teaching and preaching for your benefit. And I believe that it is the will of God for His people to be blessed. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 12, God said this, And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Just elbow somebody and say, God does want you to be blessed. There's some misconceptions surrounding money. We're going to get someplace tonight. But there's some misconceptions surrounding money. There's a misconception that churches are only after your money. Now, okay, let's do this tonight. How many, before you came to God, really believed that the preacher or the church was really all about getting your money? Is anybody? Am I the only one that thought that? Okay, there's a couple. All right, all right, all right. I, I, why, why does that happen? Because televangelists in the news that make millions of dollars and live in mansions have given people a misconception that the church is after your money. I had this, this, this idea in my mind the first time I ever walked into uh, the House of Prayer in Charmco where, uh, where, where I came to God. We walked in there and I saw this ceiling that sparkled. Kind of like it does in here. Except I think it's sparklier there. Anyway. I found out later that Bishop Bounds did both of these ceilings. And it sparkles because he broke up glass. Talk about expensive right there. My first experience walking in the building, uh, Sister Nikki, I thought, yeah, that cost a lot of money. That, that's what I first thought. I said, oh, that, somebody put a lot of money into that. My first thought was about money. Misconception is that the preacher's after your money, doesn't work. He just uh, drives big cars, eats steaks, and stays in hotels all the time. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Move on, preacher. Here's a misconception. Churches shouldn't talk about money. Jesus did. 15% of Jesus' recorded words had to do with money. One out of every seven words that Jesus spoke that is recorded in your Bible, Jesus is talking about money. So why would he spend that much time? Why is the concept of money and possession so important? Well, he explains it. He says in Matthew 6 and 21, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, money is an indicator of the condition of your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, your heart will follow your wallet. Not the other way around. Your heart will follow your wallet. And Jesus is interested in this. I think this is comical. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, I'm sorry, Mark 12, 41. It says, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. Let me read it to you in a different translation. Jesus was sitting in the temple near the offering box. 
and watching people put in their gifts. And he noticed that many rich people were given a lot of money. Can you just imagine Jesus here for a second? They didn't have an offering plate. I think they had a box. And so Jesus is sitting here right beside the box. As they file by the box during offering time, Brother Josh, and, and he's watching everybody put their offering in the offering plate. But Jesus was very interested. And so he is very interested in what we do with the money that he has placed in our hands. We spend a great deal of time during our, our waking hours earning a living. So basically we're trading our time for money. We trade our lives for money. It's the truth. I'm not going to ask you who likes their job, who enjoys getting up and going to your job in the morning uh, for fear that we would curse the land and speak negatively. Uh, but I'm sure that there's everybody in this room doesn't enjoy, if you're, if you're employed at this moment, you, there's parts of your job you don't empl- enjoy. In fact, I, I've been in teachers' meetings where I, I had some teacher get up and she said, I love my job so much, even if they didn't pay me, I wouldn't come. I'm like, they stopped paying me. <laughs> they ain't going to see me at Greenberry West High School. We trade our lives for money. And so we, as we trust God with our finances, we're really trusting Him with our lives. Um, so I want to talk about, I, I just want to talk about one important concept in Scripture. I think it is the most important concept uh, having to do with finances. And that is this, that applying the principles of the Word of God to our finances or rather the finances that God allows us to manage, will not guarantee us to be rich, but it does guarantee us security. David said, I I have been young and now I am old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Paul said this, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Brother Jeff, I, I really wish you did say, my God shall supply you all your wants. Because I could put a lot of stuff in there. It doesn't say that. And any... Well, let me just be real... Any preacher that gets up and tells you, if you'll give, God's going to make you rich. If you'll give, then you're going to be able to drive a Cadillac. If you give, God's going to let you drive a Mercedes and you're going to have a bass tracker bass boat. Somebody in the back going to shout about that? That is not what the Word of God says. But He did say, If you abide in my word, then I will make you like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And I'm going to take care of you when it's it's a good season and when it's a bad season. A few years ago, uh, you guys know what happened to the coal industry about six, seven, eight years ago. Brother Pat, you probably had some worries about your job. Uh... And, uh, and Brother Chrisman, you, you guys may not know Brother Chrisman, but he will be here in a couple Sundays. He's going to preach for us. 
he owned a fabrication business, and almost all of his work was doing fabrication for coal mines. And all of that work dried up. And he started getting fabrication jobs, Brother Pat, from water plants in Georgia. He started getting jobs from other places. All, all these other little shops were going out of business, but Brother Chrisman was sustained during that because he's very, very meticulous about making sure that he gives his first unto the Lord. So I want to read a couple of scriptures to you tonight. That was, that was a 20-minute foundation. I want to talk to you tonight. Le- Leviticus 27 and verse number 30 says, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Somebody say tithe. It literally means a tenth. He said the tenth of all your increase. And so since I've already laid a foundation, I can get to some specifics. There are some questions. I don't know how many times I've been asked this. I've been asked this by multiple people in this room. If I'm going to tithe, pastor, should I tithe on the check that I get? Or should I tithe on the gross amount uh, that I earned. And my answer is, this is a theological term, Brother Matt, whatever. <laughs> there, are some, there are some people, now, now let me qualify all of that. There are some folks that will tell you you have to tithe on the gross income. So if you made a thousand bucks on this check, but you only brought home 700, your tithe should be a tenth of a thousand. If you get your calculators out, that will be a hundred. Some people will tell you very strictly, you have to tithe on the gross. I do not teach that. I don't ask that because in some countries, uh, in fact, in the, in the United States, there's, there was a time whenever the highest tax rate, the highest marginal tax rate was over 90%. We'll just figure this out. If the government takes 91% and you've got to give 10%, you just went in the hole. Okay? And so uh, I, I do not say that it's a scriptural principle that you have to tithe according to your gross um, but I believe that uh, whatever your faith is, if you want to tithe on your gross or you want to tithe on your net, I think either one of those uh, do so according to your faith. Does that make sense? Um, there's a misconception about tithing, and that is that that was only under the law. And I want to address that right now. Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered into thine enemies, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him, this is Abraham, gave him tithes of all. Abraham paid tithes prior to the giving of the law. Genesis 28-22, we find Jacob running from his brother. And you, you guys maybe probably are familiar with the story. They go to Bethel. 
or he goes to Bethel, he sets up a pillar unto the Lord, anoints it with oil, and he says, This stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that thou shalt give me I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And so again, Jacob, prior to the giving of the law, uh, is, is saying, I, I'm going to give tithes unto the Lord. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done and not to have left the other undone. Jesus endorsed the tithing of the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you scribes and Pharisees, you got a little, little uh, uh, herb garden. And, and whatever your increase of, of mint and cumin, and anybody in here grow mint or cumin? Anise? Me neither. But he said, you are so meticulous about your tithing. Sister Martha does back there. Okay. We won't ask her if she tithes on her herb garden. But. <laughs> you, you laugh, but... Uh, how many in here has either ever paid or, or has heard of someone tithing off their garden? We, we did it. First year that we were here, Brother Pat, we planted a garden. And, oh man, anybody like new potatoes? Oh, hallelujah. Make you want to shout. And, uh, and, and I took the first 10% of these rows... And I dug those potatoes, those new potatoes, and I, and I brought them to Sister Joan. And I'm going to tell you, she was about to shout too. We had the best garden that we ever, ever had. It was amazing how that we were, we were so blessed. But, um, so these, hypocr- these, these, these scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says you're hypocrites, but you are paying tithes on, the, on the, even the smallest thing. He said, this ought you to have done. In other words, you, you've done a lot of things wrong, but you have done well with this. And so Jesus endorsed the paying of tithes. It was not just something restricted uh, to the hearing of the law or under the dispensation of the law. Uh, let, let, me, let me hasten to a, to a point here. Um, so tithing can be on the gross or the net, whichever it is your faith to do. Tithing should be first in the budget. Somebody say First. This is a very familiar scripture. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. And it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. He said, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Um, and so, why, let's, let's think about this from, from the perspective of Scripture where uh, most people did not have jobs where they earned an income, but they were in an agrarian, they were in a farming society. That's why it's called first fruits. And he says, bring, bring first fruits. In another place, Exodus twenty two twenty nine, Thou shalt not delay to offer thy, the first of thy ripe fruits. 
You know why you don't, why they shouldn't delay to offer them? Because they'll rot. They'll spoil. They'll, if, you, if you wait long enough, that those, those tomatoes will just rot and disappear. And that's what happens in our bank account too. Because if we don't make tithing a priority and, and say this first 10%, it belongs to God. By the way, tithing is not giving. And tithing is not an offering. The first scripture that we read there out of Leviticus, it says, all the tithe is the Lord's. All the tithe belongs to God. We'll get to what He calls us if we keep it here in just a minute. But it belongs to God and He is trusting us to return the tithe to Him. And so we, we do that first because we, we tend to consume everything that we have. Y'all are afraid to say amen. It's the truth. I, again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you look at your bank account balance before you go buy something rather than think, should I buy this? Do I have any money left at the end of the month? At the, day, the end of the day. Somebody said at the end of the day. I want one of those, I want one of those get paid every day jobs. <laughs> Tithes are not an offering. An offering is um, giving out of our abundance. And I, I want to I bless the Lord. I want to give to something special. I, I want to give an offering today. And, and he says to do so uh, as a cheerful giver. Tithing is not an offering. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8. I'm, I'm going to try to hurry along, even though it seems like uh, we're doing pretty good tonight. Smile at somebody and say, man, I'm enjoying this. Malachi 3 and 8. Will a man rob God? If you really want to want God to trash you, read Malachi and Haggai. Because he does not pull any punches. In fact, Brother Kevin, he, he sets you up for the punch. And so God's asking a question, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, How have we robbed you? And God answers and says, In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. I want to relay a few stories to you that are, that are typical, that are types of first fruits. And the first one is the city of Jericho. Jericho was the first city that they would conquer in the promised land. You know, God said, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you all this stuff. But whenever they crossed over the Jordan River, God said, you're going to go conquer this great city, and you can't have any of it. He said, it is an accursed thing. Or it is, it is if I remember correctly, it's the same word as holy. It is sanctified it is devoted to God he said you can't have any of that the first belongs to me but uh, if you remember the story 
It says that after the walls fell and they went in to conquer the city, that Achan saw this Babylonian garment and he saw a wedge of gold and some silver and he took those things. And whenever they went to fight the next battle, they lost that battle. Because God said, you have taken the accursed thing. That first fruit that was supposed to belong to me, you took it. And now, this is what Joshua says, Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their back to the enemy. Why? Because they were cursed of God. Why were they cursed? Because they had touched the, uncle, or they have touched the devoted thing. We must have an understanding that when we trust God with our first 10%, He's going to bless the other 90%. Someone said it this way. I think it was Anthony Mangan. I'm just going to quote him. He said, I would rather have God and 90% than 100% without God. There's power in giving to God first. There are three promises. There's a promise of plenty. There's a promise of protection. And He provides a potential. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You've heard me say this, I I need to say it again. Whenever he said, I'm going to pour out a blessing that is too great for you to receive, he wasn't talking about your bank account. Hallelujah. You know if God blessed you with a hundred million dollars, you just open up ten bank accounts and keep going. It wouldn't be too big for you to receive. So he was talking to people that were farmers. It was an agrarian society. What he was saying was, if you will give your first fruits to God, let me preach it in West Virginia vernacular, your tater bin is going to overflow. You're going to be able to can enough green beans that you won't have room in the cellar for them. You're going to have so much corn that... That you're going to run Kroger's. No, you're not going to run them out of Ziploc baggies. But you're going to run out of room in your freezer. God's going to bless you. What's he saying? He's saying you're going to have more than enough. When we give God the first 10%, He's promising us, I'm going to make sure you have more than enough. So somebody say, plenty. The second one, Malachi 3 and 11, he says, And I will, as a result of you bringing your tithes to the storehouse, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. There is a promise of protection. He said, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Uh, I just have this personal belief, Brother Pat, that now, now, something crazy may happen tomorrow, but I believe that God can keep you from getting a flat tire tomorrow. I just believe it. Now, all you people that have gotten flat tires in the last two years, you're like, what would, I, what would I do wrong? <laughs> <clears throat> what 
Well, I'll tell you what. Get up every morning and plead the blood of Jesus and pray a shield of faith around your home, your finances, and all the possessions that God's placed in your hands. And when your tires are worn out, replace them. (laughs) That was not rocket surgery. That was a joke. Nobody got it. I believe that God can give divine protection. Third, potential. Noah, this, I, I know we're a little over time. Little quiz. How many of every animal did Noah bring on the ark? Two of everything and seven of the clean animals. Seven of the clean animals. Quiz number two. Second question on the quiz. What did Noah and his family eat from the time of the Garden of Eden until the time that they stepped off the ark? They were vegetarians. This is going to get better, I promise. But they were vegetarians. You can, you can read that. He, he tells Adam, I've given you all of, the, all of the herbs of the field, all that stuff for, for your food. Which makes sense... Because why, why would, would the, the cows and the deer and the pigs and everything get on the ark if they were afraid Noah was going to eat them? Y'all ever thought about that? And so, he brought two of every animal on the ark except the clean animals. He brought seven of those. When they get off the ark, Genesis chapter 8, verse number 20, what was the first, quiz question number three, what was the first thing that Noah did? He built an altar. The first thing. Somebody say first. He first built an altar and took of every clean beast and of every fowl and offered a burnt offering on the altar. It was a first fruits offering. The first thing I'm going to do in this new world is I'm going to offer these clean animals to you, God. Verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Somebody think ribeye. The Lord smelled a sweet savor and said... Brisket. And, and I'm sorry, I got distracted. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Check it out. He offers an offering of first fruits, and God's response is, I'm going to remove the curse. He, he said in Malachi, same, same principle. He said, if you're cursed because you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. But he said, if you'll bring the tithes and the offerings, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. Let's keep going. Uh, he, he says, I will not anymore curse the ground for man's sake. Um... Uh, He gives the promise that there's going to be seed time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, and winter, all that stuff. Chapter number 9, verse number 1, God blessed Noah, his sons. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Now check this verse out, Brother Matt. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. In other words, now those deer will be afraid of you. Go be on every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moveth upon the earth, upon the fishes, upon the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. You got to get this. 
I, I know we're over time, but you got to get this. What Noah, this was the moment, Sister Nikki, this is one of the most exciting portions of the entire Bible, when God says, now you can have ribeye. Great. Am I, we going to shout back here in the back corner there, guys? Hallelujah. Brisket. Man, you say brisket in a sanctified church and somebody shouts. This is the moment where God said, now you're not just, now, now I'm, I'm opening the entire buffet to you, Noah. But the fear and the dread of them is going to be upon you. Watch what happened here. Noah, what he offered first to God, God said, you can have all of it that you want, but you got to go get it. And one of the promises of the offering of the first fruit is if you will offer it to God, God says, I'll bless you in your pursuit. It's not a promise, you know, well, if I'll just sit here and do nothing, God will bless me. That's not how it works. He says, I'm giving it to you, but you got to go get it. And then he said in Malachi, he said, prove me now. Here with. Let's stand to our feet. I know that I've been over time tonight, uh, but you've been, you've been very cordial. I'm going to close with this thought. Just look at your neighbor and say, Jehovah Jireh, my God is a provider. God promises Abraham for literally decades, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And for many decades, Abraham did not receive the promise. But then finally, Isaac is born. And Isaac has grown a little bit, and God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son your only son, your firstborn, and I want you to offer him up to me. In other words, God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and also God says, give me your first and only child. Wait, 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 I, I thought you were going to bless me. And so we know the story, God uh, God meets Abraham on the top of that mountain. He, uh, Abraham brings his son up there. And in the mind of Abraham, Isaac was sacrificed to the Lord. Hebrews says that, that he offered up his son unto the Lord. <clears throat> and Abraham heard that voice that said, Abraham, do him no harm. Abraham, look over there in the bushes. Oh, there's my provision. See, God prepared the provision before Abraham's sacrifice. But God was not revealed as Jehovah Jireh until God had offered his firstborn. I'm going to say that again because I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm, we're going to pray here in a second. God was not Jehovah Jireh until after Abraham offered his first. That's when he became Jehovah Jireh, the provider. 
And the paradox of provision is that God promises to provide when we promise to give our first. Then he's Jehovah Jireh. I mean, we like to sing this song. We're not going to sing anything. Y'all just stand there and look pretty. You're doing good. You're struggling. Get back on task here. Where were we at? We sing the song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is only activated to be that in our lives when we say, Lord, I'm trusting you with the first fruits of my increase. And when we trust him with the first, what happened to Abraham? The lamb was there that was provision for him. And Abraham didn't just have one child. He had five more after that because he trusted God with the first one. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, Lord, I want my life to align with your principles. I want my, my conduct, my view of, of the finances and the possessions you've put in my hand, I want that to align with your word and with your desire for my life. I pray today, God, if there's any individual in this place that, that has not trusted you with the first fruits of their increase, that today I, I speak a gift of faith into the atmosphere right now. That if there's anybody here that has not trusted you with the first fruits of their increase, that they'll take a step of faith and prove you that you will provide their every need when they trust you. He's, God, you said, prove me now herewith if I won't open the windows of heaven. God, we trust you in this place today. We trust you with our today. We trust you with our tomorrow. We trust you, oh God. You are going to be Jehovah Jireh in our lives. I thank you, almighty God. I wish the saints of God that you would clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise. <laughs>